Welcome back to the prep talk. So, a couple months ago, my man and I joined the rowing team here in town. Well, to be more precise, we signed up for the intro class that lasted a month. The class met twice a week, and we basically got a crash course in all things rowing. The difference between rowing, which involves two oars, and sculling, in which you're responsible for one oar. When I was 12 or so, my folks and I went to Paris, and I saw this guy rowing along the Seine and was totally captivated. I really wanted to get on one of those super skinny boats and glide along the river. And then later, the rowing team seemed so East Coast. But I grew up and went to college in the mountains, and there just aren't any rowing teams to join. So now we're in Austin, and they have a team. Dreams are coming true. There was a regatta back in the fall, a series of boat races, and you know, man, a regatta, it, it sounded so high class, so blue-blooded. So that's the theme of this week's episode of The Prep Talk, The Aristocracy. The term itself originally comes from the Spanish phrase sangre azul back in the early 1800s. You must forgive me for the, my terrible Spanish pronunciation. The most common origin story I came across was that royal nobility throughout history did not want to tan. Absolutely no sun-kissed skin to be found. You know, because the tanned were of the working class out in the sun all day, selling merchandise in the market, tilling the land, etc. The story goes that because most of the nobility were so pale, you could see their veins right through their skin, which of course looks slightly blue from the outside. I also read that silver was a sign of wealth, so nobility would own silver spoons, forks, candelabras, goblets, so on and so forth. Over time, the silver would leach into their food, or, in the case of goblets, the silver would bleed into the wine. Apparently, if too much silver is ingested, there is a condition called agyria that causes a bluish hue to the skin. So that could be another reason for the term blue blood. I mean, go figure. We've all read books, watched documentaries, or heard stories about the elite and their dramas throughout history. But the one that interested me the most while researching this episode was one about a con man. In fact, I came across a few amazing stories about con men, con ladies, and yes, spies that were fascinating. We'll have to do another episode just about those stories because some of them blended into this episode. So back to our story. In 2009, an article was published in Vanity Fair describing a story about Clark Rockefeller, who kidnapped his seven-year-old daughter after a nasty divorce. As the cops are trying to locate the daughter, they're asking questions. Who is Clark's closest family? What's his social security number? Um, what about his financial accounts? And so on. And the ex-wife can't come up with answers for any of it. He has no social security. All of their accounts are in her name. Um, and she's not sure about his family. They weren't in attendance at their wedding, and she's never really met any of them. 
at a loss, the detectives put pictures of this guy up on all the media outlets. You know, they put a picture up on local news across the country asking if anyone knows this guy or has seen him. Slowly, reports filter in that, yeah, someone worked with this guy on Wall Street back in the late 80s. Thinks his name is Crow, Christopher Crow. Then another story that the same guy was a German film student up in Wisconsin in the early 80s named Gerhardt. Someone else calls in that they used to live in the same neighborhood as this guy. Uh, he was a descendant of British royalty back in these fancy suburbs of L.A. The police finally piece it all together. That this guy, this Clark Rockefeller, has been pulling a 30-year con and has at least four aliases. Originally named Christian Karl Gerhardtsreiter from Bergen, Germany. In Germany, he met an American family from Connecticut, this is way back in the day, who said if he was ever in the States, he should look them up. So Christian buys a plane ticket to the U.S. and shows up on their doorstep. He stays with them for a little while and, through an ad in the local paper, ended up staying with another family, saying he was a high school exchange student. During this time, he apparently became a big fan of the old television show, Gilligan's Island, and more specifically, became hugely fascinated by the character Thurston Howell III, the super-rich traveler who brought millions of dollars in a suitcase on that ill-fated three-hour cruise. Christian mimicked the character's affected speech patterns and began dressing like him, you know, complete with ascots. Which, side note, I think we should totally bring back ascots into fashion. But I digress. After Connecticut, Carl headed to the University of Wisconsin, where he said he was a film student. Then he showed up in the wealthy L.A. suburbs of San Marino as Christopher Chichester, a descendant of British royalty. He began living in the guest house of an alcoholic and reclusive widow. The story takes a dubious turn when the widow's son and his new wife decided to move back in with reclusive mom. After a little while, the son and the new bride suddenly disappeared. Christian, a.k.a. Christopher Chichester, left California just as suddenly. Partial remains of the son are found buried in the backyard years later. The new bride's body? Never found. Chichester was suspected, but no one could locate him for questioning because the persona Chichester is long gone. Okay, so now he's resurfaced as Christopher Crowe, a TV producer who worked for several Wall Street investment firms in the late 80s. And finally, we're going to fast forward quite a few years. Christian showed up as Clark Rockefeller in the Big Apple in the 90s. Okay, so that basically brought everybody up to speed. Again, only when he was arrested for kidnapping his daughter did any of these aliases, personas, these cons, did they come to light. Currently, just to fill you in with what's going on with Christian now, because he's been arrested for kidnapping his daughter, because he's also being convicted of murdering the son of the alcoholic landlord back from L.A. So Christian's now serving a five-year sentence for kidnapping, 
and a 27 to life sentence for murder. There is both a book and an extensive article on the Vanity Fair website, both titled The Man in the Rockefeller Suit, that are very good and go into a lot of detail about the story and the convictions, which, of course, you can find a link to on our website under articles. But what most interested me about this guy and his story is not exactly what he did, but how he did it. Like, how did he convince people that he was a physicist, a ship captain, an international debt collector, an English aristocrat, or a member of the Rockefeller family, one of the most well-known families in American history? Like, how did he do that? So, the first thing he did was to change the way he spoke. Well, let's be real. The first thing is to get rid of the German accent. Okay, actually... I wonder why he didn't just play up his European heritage. It seems like it'd be easier to pretend to be part of the German nobility or a German astrophysicist or, you know, whatever. But everything after Christian Gerhardt's writer moved away from Connecticut, his first stop in the States, was of an American or British creation. Kind of curious about that, but I probably will never know. If anyone has any ideas on why this may be, you know, do let us know. Anyhow, so we found Thurston Howell III on Gilligan's Island and began speaking like that. His idea of how money spoke, getting the intonation right and expanding his vocabulary. Then he began dressing the part. When he became Christopher Chichester, he monogrammed everything he wore with the initials CCC. After that, he refined his manners. When I read that part of the story, I went to the library and checked out Emily Post's Book of Etiquette, a book on its 18th edition, and that sucker is over 800 pages long. There's a ton of manners to learn. Okay, so our con man speaks the part, he dresses the part, and acts the part. Now, how does he actually break into the upper echelon? There's a quote from the Vanity Fair article that states, quote, With his Ivy League clothes, impeccable manners, and aristocratic accent, he was squiring the town's elderly widows around, enjoying their big houses and lavish lifestyles, end quote. It says it all right there. Okay, so when he moved into a new town with a new name, he would find the most well-connected and waspy church and began attending services and volunteering. He would befriend the wealthy and aging widows and make himself available to them however need be. So whether that was driving them around, lunching with them, being a confidant, whatever. The widows are connected and have money that, once he gains their trust, they are all too willing to share with him. He wasn't independently wealthy and needed the generosity of others to live comfortably. And yeah, he also needed an actual place to live, so he moved right on in to their big houses. All the better to make himself available to the widows at a moment's notice. He would also become a regular at the local businesses and the social clubs. The social clubs had the added bonus of serving free lunches. Christian would also crash lavish weddings at those well-connected churches where he would enjoy the large buffet tables. 
Free lunches keep popping up as a motivator before he was all set up with his latest deep-pocketed widow. Just follow the free food. The other thing that I kept running across as to how he broke into the elite was the fact that he was incredibly well-read. Christian spent a great deal of time in libraries reading about anything and everything. He charmed everyone he came across by being able to talk about anything from business, politics, society, and royal lineages. When he was British aristocrat Christopher Chichester, he said he was a descendant of Lord Mountbatten, the last viceroy of India and the second cousin of Elizabeth II, twice removed. All of that, cultivating good diction and good manners, dressing well and with restraint, being well-read and knowledgeable about a diverse array of topics, being a good conversationalist, and simply hanging out in the vicinity of high society seems to me the way to break into that scene of those who vacation on yachts and not just at Holiday Inn. This guy, Christian, took it a step further and wanted to emulate an American version of royalty and couldn't accomplish this con without upping his game, right? As Clark Rockefeller, he said he was descended from the less well-known lineage of Percy Rockefeller. It was a smart move. If anyone wanted to take a cursory look into the validity of this story, they'd find that, yeah, there was a Mountbatten or a Percy Rockefeller, but there isn't any documentation to speak of regarding their offspring, and therefore no way to check if he was indeed a member of either family. That is, unless they really wanted to go through the entire family genealogy, and really no one's going to get into that, for the most part, unless there's a reason. In 1992, Christian moved to New York City as Clark Rockefeller and joined the nicest churches and social clubs. But he also bought a fancy dog, a Gordon Setter named Yates, which a Gordon Setter can cost between $600 and $2,000 for a purebred. And he did this because people with dogs chat with each other. It's an easy in. Christian began walking his fancy dog through the old money part of New York on his way to becoming connected. He also cultivated some crazy behavior. As you know, with great wealth comes great idiosyncrasies. Such as, he began acting very paranoid in private. And this also helped dodge any scrutiny as he could decline answering probing questions for the sake of privacy. For his eating habits, he decided he would absolutely not eat at any restaurants only at home. And even then, he would only eat cucumber and watercress sandwiches made on specifically Pepperidge Farm bread with the crust cut off. To bump it up to the next social echelon, he just got weird. And they loved him. Uh, weird, but with nice clothes, good manners, pristine diction, so on. And that's how he did it. From small town Germany to the old money society of New York City. While researching this episode, I googled all sorts of combinations of how to break into high society, how to social climb, um, how to pass for an aristocrat, and so on. In fact, when I googled how to social climb, one of the search results was a book called Ho Tactics, 
which is now on my Kindle and is research material for future episodes. Ho tactics. But back to the how-to of the aristocracy. Of all the articles, the consensus about how to break into the upper ranks is to number one, have good manners. Number two, no cussing. Three, be well-groomed at all times. Four, never lose your cool. And five, have great posture. To that list, I'd like to add embrace beige, especially in your wardrobe, and practice your bitch face till you have that mess down. But that face must comprise of the Kanye West bitchiness that conveys, quote, son, I expected more of you, and less of the Kristen Stewart variety, lemon mouth angry school principal. P.S. This is a thing, the science of the resting bitch face. I'll link to the New York Magazine article on our blog. Read it. Get schooled. And that does it for us at the Prep Talk. I'm your host, Rachel Finn, and we look forward to seeing you guys next time when we discuss how to prepare for and survive South by Southwest 2016, which starts March 10th. It's just a week away, and it should be fun as always. If you have any tips or suggestions on how to navigate South by, do reach out. We can be found on Twitter at Prep Talk Weekend or our email, Prep Talk Weekend at gmail.com. Cheers!